Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Mondays with Mize. I am Brandon Meisner. I'm the editor of D2Football.com, and I thought I would begin sharing my thoughts on what happened over the weekend and any pressing issue in Division Two. This is being recorded on Monday, October 28th, 2019, and obviously the biggest story of the day is the release of the first regional rankings. Of course, you can look at those in detail on D2Football.com, but I thought I would look at them, talk about all of the teams that haven't had a loss yet, and kind of look at what the future might hold for them. Uh, in Super Region 1, Kutztown is 1, Slippery Rock is 2, Notre Dame is 3, IUP is 4, West Virginia State is 5th, Westchester is 6th, Urbana is 7th, Shepard is 8th, Tiffin is 9, and Ohio Dominican is 10. So uh, in, in that group, Slippery Rock, Kutztown, Notre Dame are all undefeated. And so I thought it would be interesting kind of look at what they have left, what their probable record will be. Uh, this week, uh, Westchester will be playing Kutztown. Uh, Kutztown is undefeated. Westchester, as you just heard, was number six in the region. They have one loss. Uh, obviously, a very important game for both teams. Uh, a second loss might knock Westchester out of the playoffs. Uh, Kutztown probably firmly in. Uh, but it will be uh, an important game for both of them. And then uh, after Westchester, Millersville on the schedule for Kutztown and Edinburgh, or if they are the East Division winner, they will be in the PSAC Championship. So it looks like Kutztown has Westchester, Millersville, and Edinburgh or the PSAC Championship. Uh, Slippery Rock is number two, so two PSAC teams are the top two in Super Region 1. Uh, Slippery Rock faces Cal U this week. Um, that should be a, a decent game for them. Uh, they also have Gannon left on their schedule and then end with Bloomsburg, or most likely they will be the uh, PSAC West division winner, and they would face probably Kutztown if, if things hold uh, serve in the PSAC. That would be your championship game there. Notre Dame, uh, obviously a team that has uh, kind of exploded the last two years, uh, last year and this year. You know, they made a great run, made it all the way to the semifinals last year. On their schedule, they have Frostburg State, who's another interesting story, a, a team that reclassified from Division Three, lost their first game of the year and has won every game since then. Now, it doesn't look like Frostburg is uh, eligible for the playoffs as they're not ranked in the top ten with one loss. Um, having said that, it should be a... Uh, a good opponent for Notre Dame. But after that, they have Glenville State, which that should be a win. And then they end with West Virginia State, which is the fifth-ranked team in the Super Region. So there's still a lot of stuff to sort out in Super Region 1. Now, Super Region 2, you've got defending national champion Valdosta State. Lenore Ryan is 2. Bowie State, or Bowie State is 3. Uh, Wingate is 4. Uh, West Florida is five, Carson Newman sixth, Virginia State is seventh. Then uh, those would, teams would be in the playoffs. Eight, nine, and ten are Mississippi College, Virginia Union, and Albany State. Valdosta State undefeated, as I said, national champion. They've only got two games left. They face West Florida this week, which that will be, oh, excuse me, they're off this week, and then they have uh, West Florida and West Georgia. Uh, to end the season. So that should be a tremendous uh, final two games for Valdosta State. Lenore Ryan also 8-0, and uh, they, they face Wingate, which is or undefeated this week. Uh, then they have UNC Pembroke and Catawba. So that Lenore Ryan-Wingate game will determine a lot about the positioning of the SAC teams, but it doesn't look like it will necessarily knock either of them out of the playoffs with a loss. Uh, Bowie State, as I said, was 8-0. They have Lincoln left. Then they play at Elizabeth City. And then most likely the CIAA Championship. And, you know, Bowie State uh, really looks like, uh, you know, they're, they're maybe heads and shoulders above the rest 
of the CIAA, and maybe they will finish uh, undefeated on the season. Uh, Wingate, as we said, plays Lenore Rhine. Then they have Newberry, and then they play at Mars Hill. So that is a very manageable schedule outside the Lenore Rhine game uh, for Wingate. So we could probably expect to see both Lenore Rhine and Wingate in the playoffs. In Super Region 3, this is the order. Fair State, Central Missouri, Indianapolis, Forest Wachita Baptist, Harding, Northwest Missouri, and Grand Valley State would round out the participants if that were to start today. Missouri Western, Fort Hayes, and Henderson are 8-9-10. Now, Ferris State undefeated. They have a game at Michigan Tech and then in the season with Grand Valley. So they only have two games left in the season, and obviously that Grand Valley game will be a huge game at the end of the year, Grand Valley has one loss on the year. Probably doesn't want to pick up a second, but uh, most likely, you know, every scenario to me looks, or the most likely scenarios look like they'll be in. Uh, Central Missouri has a game at Nebraska Kearney this week. Then they play Lincoln, which will be a win. And then they finish the season at Northwest Missouri. Uh, that'll be an interesting game, uh, you know, and it could be uh, the last game on the way to Central Missouri's undefeated regular season. Uh, Indianapolis has a game at Lindenwood this week. Then they face Truman. Uh, Then Lake Erie. So it really looks like the only stumbling block between Indianapolis and an undefeated regular season is the game this week at Lindenwood, who's who's been playing pretty well. And then finally, Wachita Baptist. uh, A game at Southern Arkansas. Southern Arkansas has got one loss. Uh, then they have a game at Arkansas Monticello, or excuse me, against Arkansas Monticello. It is a home game. And then another home game against Henderson State, who is ranked 10 in the region. They've only got one loss as well. Moving on to Super Region 4, uh, Tarleton State is uh, undefeated. They are 6-0 and in Division 2. Uh, Minnesota State is 2. Colorado School of Mines is 3. Uh, Colorado State Pueblo is four. Then fifth is Angelo State, followed by Texas A&M Commerce. And Augustana would be seventh. Sioux Falls, Winona State, and West Texas A&M round out the top ten in Super Region 4. Uh, you look at their schedule. Uh, Tarleton's got Midwestern State left, which that's a, a decent opponent, having a subpar year for you know for what they're used to and what their expectation level is. And then they end with William Jewell College in uh, Western New Mexico. So if they can get by Midwestern, and they probably will, they'll have an undefeated season. Minnesota State, many thought they would be number one this week. Um, You know, it's early. And uh, Minnesota State will pick up a good game in the second-to-last game of the year. They play Upper Iowa, who defeated Minnesota Duluth this week. But they also will then face Sioux Falls. And uh, that'll be a must-win game for Sioux Falls, who is in the regional rankings but already has two losses. And then they'll end uh, with Wayne State. And then the the final undefeated team in Colorado School of Mines. Um, They're 8-0. They they have South Dakota Mines, uh, Dixie State, and Shadron State left on the schedule. So it looks like, uh, you know, the the most likely scenario is that they will finish out at 11-0 as well. Um, you know, since we're talking about the regional rankings, I want to bring up some maybe complaints or concerns that I have with the regional rankings. Um, There's a couple of the criteria. You know, I, I don't really have any problem where anybody was placed this week or even how they placed them in the past, but I do have a problem with the criteria that they use. Uh, the first one is the road record. I think it's an absolutely ridiculous criteria. Uh, I assume it exists because they needed another criteria to separate teams, and they're going to try to figure out who is strong enough to win in road games. But, uh, you know, typically, well, every time, you know, uh, uh, a road team is going to be a lower-seeded team, that team's expected to lose. So whether, uh, you know, what they've done on the road is irrelevant because they're expected to lose no matter what. Um, But, you know, going further, there's some reasons why, I think that the road record is ridiculous. And the first one is kind of a two-parter. The first one is that 
it has already been accounted for in the wins and losses. So if you were 10 and 1, that's your record. But now they're going to add to that and say, well, you were 0 and 1 on the road. Well, they don't account for that at loss. So you're better off losing games at home. And I think that is a bigger sign of weakness to show a loss at home against a team rather than losing at their uh, at the, the opposing team's stadium. A road loss seems more likely. So why is a team penalized for losing on the road but not at home? It simply does not make any sense. I want to go back to a couple years for an example of this. Uh, Grand Valley and Harding were essentially the last two candidates to uh, be in the playoffs. They both had three losses. All of Grand Valley's losses came on the road at Indianapolis, at Ferris State, and at Ashland. Harding lost two games at home and one game on the road, and they got the bid. Now, Harding did finish strong. They Their first losses were the three losses of the season, and then they won uh, eight in a row to make the playoffs after that. And then they went on and beat all of the teams on the road that Grand Valley could not. But it was different points of the season, and really those results to me aren't that big of a factor because Harding is a very tough team to prepare for on short notice. Irrelevant, though. The point is, why was Harding in because it lost home games, but Grand Valley not in because it lost road games? Obviously, it worked out. Harding should have been in there based upon the results, but the criteria just doesn't make much sense to me. Now, the second criteria that I think should be removed would be the in-region record. This was put in, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago, and the idea was that it would encourage other teams to play teams in the, its own region in order to help reduce cost and help teams schedule. But the fact is, it has done anything but, and there are a couple of reasons why. Uh, in Super Region 3, let's take Grand Valley again as an example. They have difficulty scheduling. They have recently announced that they are going to schedule CSU Pueblo and Assumption. And they're also going to have to reach out for some longer road games and, uh, you know, in return days as well. But they're going to be longer trips for both teams because they have difficulty finding teams in their own region. Here's why. They're in with the MIAA and the GAC. Both of those conferences only play conference games. So that eliminates Half of the teams in the conference, well, really, in Grand Valley's case, it would be two-thirds of the potential non-conference opponents um, that they can play. So that leaves one-third left. That is G the GLVC and their teams. And apparently the GLVC outside of Indianapolis is not uh, too keen on playing Grand Valley. And Indianapolis even had an open date this year uh, a couple of weeks ago that they didn't fill because they have it, they're having problems filling dates. Um, so Grand Valley can't even schedule an in-region non-conference game, or it's extremely difficult to do so. Maybe one team will play it. In, in any case, it doesn't matter. Some teams won't play them. Some teams can't play them. So because nobody will play them, because some teams can't play them, they are harmed in the regional rankings. Because the in-region record is part of it. So by default, the fact that they're going to have to go outside of region uh, three times maybe to fill a schedule means that they're going to be at a disadvantage against the other teams in the region before the playoff selection or before the season even starts uh, because they're going to have three or two maybe less or fewer playoff games. So if you are at one of these other schools, you really have no incentive to schedule Grand Valley or Ferris State or maybe even Ashland. I mean, they, these teams obviously do get their schedules filled, but you don't really have an incentive because they, it puts them at a disadvantage. And uh, it's the unintended consequence of a rule that was put in place to try to encourage more intra-region non-conference scheduling and because of the isolated nature of the MIAA and the GAC, it makes it almost impossible uh, for the GLIAC teams to do that. 
and puts them at a numerical disadvantage uh, when the playoffs start. Now, I understand that nothing will change this year, but I think the NCAA... Well, over the weekend, there was only one game involving two teams in the top 25. That was number 25, Virginia Union, against number 17, Bowie State. And Bowie State handled business in that game, winning 52-17 to to move to 8-0 on the season in the non-conference. But there also needs uh, to be some kind of fairness when it comes to Grand Valley uh, and GLIAC teams, for that matter, when it comes to playoff uh, participation. So, well, that'll be the last thing I'll complain, at least for right now, about the, uh, about the regional ranking procedure. Well, over the weekend, there was only one game involving two teams in the top 25. That was number 25, Virginia Union, against number 17, Bowie State. And Bowie State handled business in that game, winning 52-17 to to move to 8-0 on the season. And to talk about that game and more, we're joined by Chris Ferguson. You know him as the CIAA columnist on D2Football.com, and uh, he is the go-to guy for all things CIAA. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Yeah, the pleasure's all mine. All right, great. You know, obviously, uh, you know, when we cover things on D2Football.com, you can't be everywhere all the time, but this past week you just happened to be where – uh, where it was important to be in the CIAA at the, the, at the Bowie State game. So uh, tell me about the game and why was Bowie able to dominate like it did? So um, Bowie State, Virginia Union played. It was a kind of an interesting matchup because they were two teams that finally broke into the top 25. Bowie had been there for several weeks, and Virginia Union was, was ranked 25th in, in the D2Football.com poll. And so it's the first time really since 2017 that you had two ranked teams in the CIAA. Um, So these teams play, they both play in the North Division. The CIAA separated to North and South. And, uh, and so the, 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 and it's, it it is a pretty fierce rivalry type game um, between those two schools. So, um, you know, that they at the point, at that time only had, you know, one loss between each other. Um, made it such a huge game, and then um, generally whoever wins that game uh, and wins the Bowie State Virginia State game has been the, the team to advance right. um, to the CIAA championship game. So, um, so it, it, you know it's a, it was a very very high stakes game. Um, now Bowie State is a interesting dynamic because we all knew Bowie State from the last couple of years with having Amir Hall right, exactly. at quarterback who has since graduated. And there were a lot of question marks as to who would replace him and how they would be able to kind of um, – how they would be able to function. And then they lost their offensive coordinator who went to North Carolina Central Division One team. Um, but um, any, if anybody knows anything about Bowie State, they – Okay. Um, 
a guy that can that can run, a guy that can throw, and very hard to plan for. And you know, you, if you have that on the offensive side, and you have, um, and you have uh, as bad of a defense as Bowie has on the on the defensive side, they're just a hard team to beat. And and that's kind of what you have, and that's why they they dominated that game. You know, but I always say college coaches are experts at replacing players. But uh, I still thought that there might, you know, be a little of a, little of a downtick because of the loss of Amir Hall. But, uh, you know, Bowie, you know, is, is actually rolling a little bit better. And if you look at the, uh, uh, you know, the standings in the CIAA, uh, they're first in the north at, at 5-0, and followed by Virginia State at 4-1, uh, and one, and then Virginia Union at 4-1. and one. Uh, you know, but if you turn to the South, Fayetteville State's uh, four and one, and then Winston Salem's three and two. Shaw's also three and two. But if we are going to look into the future and and pass uh, the, the Bowie uh, Virginia Union game, if you were going to look into the future, um, are are we thinking that it will be like a Bowie State or Fayetteville State championship game? So, um, before last weekend, mm-hmm. the answer probably would have been yes. I mean. Fayetteville State had won the, the South for on um, the la- the past two seasons, and they were a very young team, and and so those pieces that they've had that they have this year, they've had those for the, really the last uh, two three years. So okay. you know, it was kind of a it was it was really hard to see who would leapfrog them. Um, Shaw University had their chance early on in the conference schedule and couldn't get it done. And generally the, the only other um, roadblock would be Winston-Salem State, and that's week 10 during the CIAA's rivalry week. Um, but but then you had um, St. Augustine, who's been through a lot this year, come and, and, and they upset the Broncos and – in quite quite a dramatic fashion, they kind of traded touchdowns and and then um, in the fourth quarter, and then Fayetteville State, as they're known to do, found a way to score with a minute left, and then Saint Hall got the ball and threw a, a deep shot and connected, and then and got them within the ten, and then kicked the field goal to win the game. So. You know, you thought that Fayetteville State really could kind of run through the South, and that just has not happened now. They almost lost last week to John C. Smith, which is very hard to say, too, but that's a team that's actually improving. So now you have the situation where um, Fayetteville State, Winston-Salem State, or Shaw can win the division. And Winston-Salem State and Shaw play this weekend, and what is a a rivalry game uh, before rivalry week. Okay. Um, so and then Winston State and, and Fable State play week ten. So, okay. uh, so there's there's a huge question mark as to who will play really Bowie State in the in the championship game. Bowie only has Elizabeth City and and uh, Lincoln, right. and Lincoln is winless, and Elizabeth City has has has. Um, uh, I believe like two, they've won two games this year, so it's pretty certain that they're probably going to be in the championship game unless there's some type, some type of epic collapse. But we really don't know who will play them um, um, from the South yet. Again, we're joined by Chris Ferguson. He is the columnist for the CIAA on D2Football.com. And Chris, you know, we, we were looking there at the uh, CIAA, but the regional rankings were released today on uh, October 28th is when we are we recording this interview. And in Super Region 2, Bowie comes in at number three. And then Virginia State and Virginia Union are at uh, seven and nine. Uh, you know, Bowie State obviously looks like it's going to be a shoe-in and, you know, maybe even has an opportunity to, uh, you know, move up to the one or two spot. Uh it, it's you never know how the math will turn out, but um, what would it mean for the conference to get a second team, either Virginia State or Virginia Union, into the playoffs? Um, it's always a big accomplishment 
for the CIAA to get two teams into the playoffs because um, the the CIAA doesn't necessarily have the reputation that some of these major, um, the, the more successful conferences, the MIAA, for example, or the, the Great Lakes, mm-hmm. uh, where you have like Grand Valley and Fair State, um, or even some of the more regional conferences like the South Atlantic and, and, and the PSAC. Mm-hmm. The CIAA just doesn't have that cachet, and they typically don't do as well in out-of-conference play in early in the season. Um, so, you know, to have those two teams in there is kind of a testament to how far the conference has come. Um, you know, when you look at each of those three teams that are in that top ten right now, they all have something special about them that stands out. Uh, Virginia State, I mean, sorry, Virginia Union first. Virginia Union, their two losses have been to teams that are undefeated. Um, and they played Lenore Ryan fairly closely. Um, whereas, and the Bowie State game was a bit of an aberration. There's, there's some rivalry there. So, you know, if you're going to lose, you're probably going to lose that one big. Right. Um, um, and then Virginia State actually um, – their one loss was to Bowie State as well. So, you know, these these teams that are, that are in that top ten right now, they can compete. Um, they're close. And when the CIAA has had um, two teams in the playoffs, you know, either one of those teams one of those teams tends to advance to the second round, uh, and the second team tends to be fairly competitive in their first round matchup. So. Um, you know, it's more than than the, the the conference certainly has their struggles, but if those teams are in that top ten, they've earned it, and they're going to be competitive with the rest of the other conferences in the region. You know, it's interesting some of the things you said, and you know, the CIAA has always been known as a basketball conference. You know, do you feel that maybe there's an attempt by the conference schools? to change that perception by improving their football programs? Or do you think it's satisfied with being known as you know, one of the best basketball conferences in the country? Um, I don't think that they're satisfied with just being a basketball, um, um, a strong as basketball conference. Um, it's really important to, to note that the shift, this, this decade from 2010 until now has been, arguably the most successful decade for CIAA football um, in its existence. And the reason why I say that, uh, certainly in the last 40, 50 years, and the reason why I say that is because when, when Winston-Salem State came back to Division II um, and, and, they, and, and a new coach came in, Connell Maynard, yep. His, his press conference, his introductory press conference said he wants to compete for a national championship. And people kind of laughed at him and people kind of, you know, mocked him because the CIAA really just had not competed on that level. Um, but the first year he went 8-2. and two. The second year, 2011, he went, um, he went like 13-1. and one. And, and and barely lost to Wayne State. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then in, 2000, in 2012, went to the national championship game. Right. And so coaches then started to say, you know, and schools started to say, wow, you know, this is actually possible. Um, and, it be, and Winston became a, a huge target mm-hmm. as a result. You know, teams really wanted to beat them because they knew if they beat them, they would be beating one of the best teams really in the country. Right. But so, it, also, it also proved that if you if you try it and believe it, maybe it can be accomplished. That's right. And and the CIAA certainly has some um, factors that work against it, but people believed, um, you know, that that – they can compete on that level. And so what you started to see was that the CIAA started to 
that coach and were successful at the FCS level. And even, like, Virginia State is a good example. They had uh, a coach that came to them for a couple years, was successful, won a playoff game, went to another FCS school, and then another successful FCS coach came in behind them um, and has stayed, has been successful at Virginia State. Um, We've seen trends that, for example, um, um, Winston-Salem State used to be the team that had the most scholarships um, in the in the conference. Uh, last year, that was Shaw, mm-hmm. and right be- at twenty eight scholarships, and right behind them was Fayetteville State. So, you've seen teams that are starting to kind of wanting to one up each other in various categories, trying to kind of climb to the top of the mountain. I would, I would say the other thing, too, is that, you know, uh, we've had those instances where we've had two teams in the playoffs, but we had a streak for a while where uh, the CIAA was winning at least one playoff game a year. And before 2011, it had been a long time since the CIAA had won a playoff game. So. Right. You know the 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 street the the run that Winston State had really had other schools believing that they could that they could be successful at that level, and we've seen more attention being placed on football and schools trying to kind of emulate what they what they um, had set up. I mean, if you think about even like Amir Hall, I mean, so we had Winston Winston State that finished. Number two in 2012 as the national runner-up, and then and its quarterback at the time was not um, even in like the finalists for um, the Harlem Hill that year because he did not play fourth quarters in a lot of his games. But then several years later, we had Amir Hall who broke all of his records at the conference level and finished um, finished at the highest the highest uh, um, finalist spot ever for a CRAA player. And I think that's a testament to, you know, coaches have believed and schools have believed and administrators have believed that the conference can can compete um, not just in basketball but compete at football which uses more resources and compete at a, at a, at a national level. So, um, the, no, the CIAA is not content um, mm-hmm. as being just a good football, I mean, a good basketball conference. They want to be a good conference all the way around. So, you know, I, I think we've touched on it a little bit, but and I had two things I want to talk about, but because we've touched on it a little bit, I want to combine them. Um, so what direction do you think the conference is headed as a whole, and what challenges do they face in heading and going where they want to be? So um, the challenges that the CIAA has, um, I think resources are a challenge, you know, for most, um, for a lot of Division II schools. Um, Not everybody can be Northwest Missouri or Grand Valley that have, you know, quite a bit of resources. Um, and those schools tend to have much larger um, uh, uh, enrollment than the did, CIAA schools. Sorry to interrupt, Chris, but what is a typical enrollment for a CIAA school? Um, the largest, I believe, is about 6,000. Okay, okay. Um, and, and on average, I would say probably in the two to 3,000 range. Okay. Okay. So and the CIAA has a mix of public schools and private schools. Right. So um, I think resources is a big one because you kind of have to decide: do you want to get more scholarships or do you want to pay for coaches? Right. Um, and Bowie State has kind of a interesting dynamic because I think they follow more of the PSAC model, which is maybe not as many scholarships, but they have excellent coaching. And sound and 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 a number of assistants that are full time. So, um, so 
would say that's probably the big, the, the, the number one challenge. And then the number two challenge is dilution. Um, because there are so many schools, especially in North Carolina, that are that play football mm-hmm. um, at the FBS and the FCS level that the quality of the athlete that they're going to get at the Division II level may not be the same as some of the other locations, um, some of the other regions throughout the conference. I mean, you have some some states that, you know, majority Division II. That's not necessarily the case in North Carolina in particular, right. uh, where you have a wide range of, right. of options that, that um, players can go to. So I think that's the other challenge that you have for the CIAA, but I'd say overall, I think the conference is, is continuing to trend up. Um, you would, you know, the, the CIAA switched back to Super Region 2 from Super Region 1, um, and Super Region 2 is a more, it, it is a more uh, difficult region to get through. It's just, I mean, the Nash, there are national champions like the Valdosta State, right. Um, Delta states that have come out of that region um, in recent years. And so, um, you know, to be able to go in there and actually, actually compete, uh, I mean, Bowie State last year had a 10 nothing lead against Valdosta. I mean, that was just, that was a position that the Blazers had not been in very often last year. Right. And so the talent is there. Um, but, um, but the conference as a whole is trending up. It's certainly trending up. I, I would say absolutely. Well, that's great to hear. Again, Chris, I appreciate you being with us, and uh, we'll look forward to reading your columns on D2Football.com. If somebody wants to follow you on social media, how do they do that? So um, you can follow me on Twitter and also Instagram. is at D2KFerd um, on both of those platforms. Uh, where you can follow me, and and uh, we have a lot of good banter and a lot of conversation, especially on game day. That is Chris Ferguson. He is the columnist for the CIAA for D2Football.com. Now, again, that was the only loss by a top 25 team last week, but that does not mean that it was uh, easy going for the other five or the other teams ranked in the top 25 poll. And I thought that was one of the interesting things about the weekend that it kind of maybe cast a little doubt on the strength of some teams that had really been dominant the entire year. Uh, Number one, Valdosta state only beat North Greenville 20 to 15 North Greenville is three and five on the season. Now Uh, Tarleton state uh, one by 12 over a one and seven Texas A&M Kingsville team. Uh, Notre Dame beat Finley 24-19. Finley's 5-3. and three. That's not that bad, but still, it was a game you expected Notre Dame to dominate, and Finley was able to slow their offense down a little bit. Uh, Lenore Ryan uh, won 28-20 over a 2-6 and six limestone team. And Colorado Mines, uh, you know, scored 49, but, you know, I guess it's called a struggle against a 1-6 and six Azusa Pacific team. You know who had lost to Simon Frazier uh, a week earlier, and that was Simon Frazier's first Division II win in in five years. So that was uh, you know it was an interesting weekend where teams won, but they weren't as dominant as they had been before. And and some of the talk on our message board is that maybe there's a little more parity than people thought, and and uh, well, of course, you know that that remains to be seen. So what do we watch out for the rest of the season? Um, I think uh, things to watch out for, the, the first one to be Henderson State's remaining schedule. I had talked earlier about the other teams uh, the, in the GAC that were in the top uh, 10 of the regional rankings, but Henderson State has a, a really tough schedule remaining there. At uh, They play 5-3 and three Arkansas Monticello, then they play 7-1 and one Southern Arkansas, and then they end the season with undefeated Wachita Baptist, so... While they're 10th in the region right now, Henderson State, with the wins, could really move up because they're really going to add to the strength of schedule with those teams. Uh, Something else to look out for, uh, Savannah State. They were an FCS program last year and have reclassified to Division II. 
they're five and three on the season, having a pretty good year. They will face a six and two Fort Valley State team, and that should be a, a good matchup. And then they face Edward Waters, an NAIA team that uh, they should win. So, uh, you know, it's a successful return to Division Two. Uh, Savannah State, if you didn't know, has had good teams over the years and good players. It's the uh, alma mater of uh, Shannon Sharp, who played tight end uh, in the NFL. Time to look at who's hot and who's not. Um, who's hot? I, I mentioned them earlier, but uh, Frostburg State, this is their first year in Division Two. They were a Division Three team. They lost the first year, their first game of the year, 20-17 to 17 to West Virginia State. And if you remember, West Virginia State is in the regional rankings. Uh, they've had some narrow victories uh, along the way, but recently have really kind of started to put it together. They beat West Virginia Wesley in 35-13, Charleston 42-7, and uh, Wheeling 42-12. Um, now, as we talked about before, they do host Notre Dame College. Uh, that's probably going to be the MEC championship, but... Nonetheless, even if they were to lose that, it has been an extremely um, productive uh, first season for Notre Dame College as a member of Division II. Um, what is also hot, uh, the Grand Valley defense. Uh, they've, they're giving up 15.6 points per game. That's really good in, in today's football. It's, you know, anything under 15 is, is kind of the old – Threshold used to be anything under 10 was really good, and I think that's moved to 15 with the change of style of play and the change in rules. Uh, they're only giving up 246 yards of total offense a game. And uh, against Davenport in bad conditions, they only gave up 161 and seven points. So uh, that uh, has been a very impressive, uh, uh, you know, job by the Grand Valley defense so far. They uh, will host – William Jewell College. Uh, now, conversely, we got to look at two programs, kind of historic programs. Both of these programs have won national championships, and uh, if you had to say who's not hot, it would be uh, Pittsburgh State and Minnesota Duluth. Uh, Pitt started out five and zero, but they've lost three in a row. They, uh, you know, got beat fairly, you know, not easily, but it was a convincing win uh, by Northwest Missouri over Pitt State. That was thirty-eight seventeen. Then they lost 42-41, to 41, and this might have been the game that, you know, if there was a straw that broke the camel's back, it might have been this one. Uh, they lost 42-41 uh, uh, to Fort Hayes. They missed a field goal that would have given them the lead near the end of the game, and Fort Hayes was able to run out the clock and, and secure the win. That game was in Pittsburgh. And uh, last week against Central Missouri, they had the lead at one point. Um, they end up losing 36-28. They threw two picks. One of those was a uh, return for a touchdown. So uh, Pittsburgh State, after starting 5-0, and has lost three in a row. Minnesota Duluth is another team that's uh, headed in the wrong direction. They started 4-0. Uh, they are 1-3 and since then, uh, and they've gotten beaten soundly. Uh, Minnesota State beat them 52-7. Sioux Falls beat them 34-3. And then they lost to Upper Iowa last week, which is a, a shocking, uh, shocking win. That's the first time Upper Iowa had beaten Duluth. That was 23-13, to 13, and obviously it's likely that, you know, even before the regional rankings were released today, I didn't think there was a chance that uh, Minnesota Duluth would be in the playoffs this year. So looking forward to this week, uh, we have actually some good games every week. On Sunday, I try to look forward to figure out what games will be part of the Pick'em. Uh, you know, admittedly, last week, there weren't that many uh, marquee games nationally to choose. But this week, there are uh, a lot of them. And, you know, we've gone over some of them, but we'll go over them again. Uh, Ain't No Wingate is at Ain't No Lenore Ryan. Yeah, I talked about that one. That would be a great game. Ain't No Watchtop Baptist is at 7-1 Southern Arkansas. 8-0 Cootstown is at 7-1 Westchester. 8-0 Notre Dame is at 7-1 Frostburg. 6-2 Cal U is at 8-0 Slippery Rock. And 6-2 Texas A&M Commerce is at 6-2 West Texas. And I'm really uh, interested in that last game. You know, 
West Texas opened a new stadium. It's the, it's the most beautiful stadium in Division Two now. It's just absolutely beautiful. And they're kind of having a better season there. You know, Hunter Hughes is taking over there and probably not – they're probably not coming along as fast as they would like as a program, but uh, they're having a great season this year, uh, regionally ranked, and uh, a win would really, really – uh, you know, cap off a, a good season. Even if they didn't make the playoffs, it, it would cap off a great season um, for West Texas this year. You know, in the past, Bob Eblen, our national columnist, has had people give him questions to answer. And, you know, we changed Bob's role on the site this year. Um, you know, just keeping up with every little minutia of going on, you know, that's going on in Division Two. It's a little easier to sit here and talk about than it is for him to write about. You know, it takes a lot more time. So instead of that, I um, thought we'd field questions, and I would answer them here on the podcast uh, because Bob is going to deal with issues and things that come up like that, uh, more in-depth writing for a guy that's been following Division Two forever and been on D2Football.com as a member of our staff forever. So uh, – we didn't have any questions, and, and we have a Sunday night chat every Sunday, obviously, on uh, on the website, and there's a link in our message board of how to get there. And uh, so I took some questions, what they would like to have answered, and uh, the first one I have uh, was how about replay for games where video is present? So currently in Division Two, they only have video replay in – the semifinals and the national championship game. Um, now, I am for, if we're going to have replay, I'm for using it and having the same rules and the same usage as Division One. My only concern would be about the quality of, of the replay. Now, I guess that, you know, in Division Two, uh, it, the, the quality of the broadcast and the streams are sporadic. So maybe there would or would not be, um, you know, quality video to use and you know typically replays only used to overturn you know really really bad calls otherwise they kind of go with the call in the field but I think it might not be that effective in the regular season in division two number one because you wouldn't have an experienced official running the video replay and number two because the technology might prevent it so while I think it's a good idea in theory in practice it probably would not be. Right, the second question I got, how do you compare teams from different conferences accurately despite the lack of cross-conference games? And I think that is a tremendous question. And it also plays into something that we were talking about on the message board about the difference between the AFCA poll and the D2Football.com poll. And if you want to get into the nitty-gritty, you can go find that on the board. Um, and I had a great discussion there. Uh, the, you know, the, the contention by one of the posters was that the AFCA poll is based upon results this year, while the D2Football.com poll seemed more based upon reputation. And while I agree with that, I think that there are limitations to each and weaknesses of each and strengths of doing it both ways. But my contention was that the D2Football.com bowl or any poll that is based upon quote-unquote uh, reputation, as they were describing it, takes results into account, but it's taking a bigger period of time into account. And what I mean by that is if on a poll the first you know, the first 10 undefeated teams are 10-0, and 0, and then the next five one-loss teams are 11 through, you know, 15 or whatever, then that is based totally, totally on wins and losses, and it is no different than standings. However, if you look at it over time, and, or even, you know, polls are opinion. They're all, they're all about opinion. They're not necessarily about the standings, even though the coaches tend to vote that way. But, you know, it is very possible. And even in, in our poll and probably the AFCA, there are examples where an undefeated team is behind a uh, one-loss team. 
that is based upon history, and that is based upon uh, the results of history. There is a reason a team with a good quote-unquote reputation might get the benefit of the doubt is that they have posted it, or excuse me, they have proven it year after year that they are a good team. And now, does that mean any poll is perfect? Absolutely not. And I, I, I don't personally vote in, in my poll, and, and uh, I don't always agree with uh, the way the poll comes out. Uh, having said that, uh, I just publish what's there, and, and we have to live with it. So it is impossible, going back to the question, it's very difficult to compare teams from different conferences accurately in the moment. But I think it is a little easier and a little more accurate if you do it over time, a two- or three-year period. Um, now, that doesn't help when it comes to playoff participation this year, but it does help when you're uh, looking at maybe uh, a general, just a general comparison. Uh, if you're interested in asking a question in the future, and I'd be more than happy to field those questions, uh, you can tweet us at D2Football, just like the website. Um, that's our Twitter account. And there's also a way to contact us under support on the website. Uh, if, if you look, uh, there's a drop-down menu and it says contact us. There's a field you can fill in. Just make sure somewhere on there, maybe the subject line, you put a question mark or a question. Uh, as uh, And we will check that. I check all those emails and it will come to me and we will add it to the podcast next week. Uh, before we go, uh, I wanted to mention one thing. Uh, Bill Maskell Sr. passed away uh, last Tuesday and uh, at the age of 96. And for those of you who don't know, he is the father of Bill Maskell, who is the coach at Midwestern State. And uh, I have always liked Bill, and I wanted him to know that uh, I was thinking about him and that I hope he's uh, able to, uh, you know, kind of – trudge through things right now you know even though his dad was 96 years old when he passed away it's still your dad and it's still sad that you won't be able to have a conversation with him or or anything like that and uh, Bill's dad uh, Bill Sr. had won four state championships in Michigan uh, 274 wins so uh, I just again Bill I just wanted if you hear this I just wanted to send out my condolences also, to remind you not to forget to check out our other podcasts. You know, we've added some this year, uh, and uh, they do a fine job. Uh, the GLIAC Weekly with Jake Reepma. You know, you know he's already doing the columnist work. He also does a great podcast. Uh, he's an up-and-coming media personality, and uh, I just hope we can hold on to him for as long as we can because I see great things in his future. Uh, Jesse Cordova does uh, and hosts the MIAA Weekly uh, Jesse is uh, uh, going to coordinate the podcast for us. Also, the Western Windup, that's with Brett Howry and Derek Zimmerman Geyer. Now, that is a Missouri Western specific podcast, but they have uh, shown an ability to produce a good podcast every week, and so they are part of the team. If you have an idea for a podcast or are already doing a podcast, and that would fit in with our family of podcasts, please contact Jesse Cordova. He'll talk to you about the logistics, and maybe we'll add you to our family as well. Well, that's going to do it for Mondays with Mize. I am Brandon Meisner. Thanks for listening.